Hello, and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Tiffany Coker, and with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're on a quest to learn what the Bible teaches about theological topics that many Christians find challenging, confusing, and out of their reach. And we're always aiming to do this in a way that applies to the lives we lead. We want to help you to be strong in your faith doctrinally, knowledgeable in and of the word theologically, and grow in your love for Jesus and others exponentially. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, we want to thank you, our listeners, for leaving us ratings and reviews. We're so grateful for each one because that's really what helps us get the word out to more people about Kitchen Table Theology. One listener recently wrote, this podcast gives light to God's word. While we all have questions about translations and how to unpack the Bible, Pastor Jeff and co-host simplify and explain to help in the understanding. I truly enjoy this podcast. Sharon Gusto, thank you so much for your kind words, and we are so glad that you're enjoying Kitchen Table Theology. We're also grateful for our friends at Columbia International University. For 100 years now, CIU has educated people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. They have undergraduate, graduate, and seminary programs, both on campus and online. So check all of that out at ciu.edu. We hope you enjoyed the bonus podcast last week and got to know Pastor Jeff a little bit better. Today, we are back to our overview of the Bible series with a look at the gospel according to John. As always, feel free to email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org with any question. We always love to hear from you. Thanks so much for joining us at the table. Let's get started. And hello again, Kitchen Table Theologians. As always, thank you for joining us. And today we're back on a regularly scheduled programming, as it were, and we'll spend our podcast time today doing a brief overview of the New Testament book of the gospel according to John. This will mean we've covered all four gospels. And to begin our time together, I want to tell you a story about the hugging judge. Hello, Kitchen Table family. Glad to be back today. I'm your host, Tiffany Coker, and right off the bat there, I'm going to have to ask for an explanation on that one. When I think of a judge, I don't exactly think of hugs. Oh, you don't? No. <laughs> well, I'm sure you've been in front of many judges. Yeah, tell us how many judges you've been in front of. I don't know any, actually. <laughs> well, that's a very good thing. Well, let me tell you this true story about a judge named Lee Shapiro. They served as a judge for a good number of years, and he had a genuine love for people. He, he said that he believed love's the greatest power on earth, and he would often, almost always, greet people with a smile and a hug. And over time, in the courthouse, all his legal colleagues dubbed him the hugging judge. So he retired, and in his retirement, Judge Shapiro Shapiro created the Hugger Kit. And on the outside of the box, it read, A Heart for a Hug. The inside contains 30 red embroidered hearts with stick them on the back. So you could stick it on your shirt or blouse. Right. So what he did was he used his Hugger Kit to offer, he would offer people a red heart in exchange for a hug when he met them. And he gave hugs people sent to meter maids, Bus drivers, strangers on the street, that's just what he did. One time after hugging a mentally disabled man, the caregiver told the judge, this is the first time in 23 years Leonard has smiled. Wow, that is such a cool story. 
Why do you think he did that? Why were hugs so important to him? Well, that's about all the story I know. But when I did read the story, what came through loud and clear was that he really believed hugs are a gift of love. And he had a very strong belief in the power of love. And I suppose as a judge, somebody who often saw the worst of humanity, he decided to balance it out with hugs. That's what he did. Very cool. I'm sure this wonderful judge and his story is going to lead us into John's gospel today somehow. Well, yeah, I thought of his story as I approached our John's gospel, that the coming of Christ, which in theology is called the incarnation, is in a very large general sense, God's hug to humanity. That it's a, it, The incarnation is a gift of love, bringing the power of salvation to us. God sent his son and he reconciled us to himself. And throughout the gospel of John, we discover as you read it, the wonderful gifts God offers us through his son. And in addition, we're told how we can receive Christ. So a lot of loves. And if you think of it as Christ's incarnation as God's hug to humanity, there's a tie in with the hugging judge there. I like it. Let's go ahead and dive into the Gospel of John. We know that John is the fourth and the last gospel. Mm-hmm. It's written by the apostle whom Jesus loved, as John is referred to, John, the son of Zebedee. He was originally one of the 12 apostles. And we can't forget also that in addition to this gospel, the church traditionally associates John with three other New Testament letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well as the prophetic book of Revelation. So John was a leader in the early church. We learn later he was shepherding the people of God in the city of Ephesus for a while. How about you tell us a little bit about when this book was written? Yeah, John was quite quite an individual, probably the closest one, I don't know, not probably, the closest disciple to Jesus. As far as when he was writing all this. The ESV study Bible contains some really helpful information when I looked into it there. And they suggested John wrote his book between AD 70 and AD 100. But there's not a lot of evidence, maybe not even enough evidence to be more precise than that. So somewhere in the last quarter of the first century. Now we know that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, and we know that John lived almost to the end of the first century. So he wrote this in the latter years of his own life, as well as the latter years of the century. I can see how we might say that it, this book was written near the end of his life, but how do you know that it wasn't written sooner than AD 70? Well, that's a good question. There are some clues in John's gospel that help us in that regard, John twice refers to the Sea of Tiberias. And that was a name widely used for the Sea of Galilee only toward the end of the first century. You don't read about the Sea of Tiberias. It was always referred to in the Sea of Galilee. But near the end of the first century, it started to be referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. There's also John's lack of reference to the Sadducees. He didn't talk about that. We read about the Sadducees in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not in John. And that's likely because they ceased to be a Jewish religious party or organization after AD 70. 
they huh. ceased to exist after the destruction of the temple. Another interesting fact that might even nail the date down a little bit more, in Christian tradition, John's gospel has always been referred to as the fourth gospel, meaning it was composed after the other three, so that would give it a later date. And then if you really want to take a deeper dive in for 10 seconds, Polycarp, what an unfortunate name, Polycarp. <laughs> he was a second century Christian martyr who knew John personally. And he told one of the earliest church fathers, a man by the name of Arrhenius, that John had written the book during John's time serving the church in Ephesus. And so if that's all true, that suggests John wrote the book between A.D. 85 and A.D. 95. I'm going to need so, a timeline to lay all that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is we have about a 30-year window that we're pretty sure that's when he wrote it. That works. Let's get to another important part of understanding the gospel. Why did John write this gospel? And then one of my favorite questions, who did he write it to? Yeah, I think we find John's purpose for writing. Actually, he tells us. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. So how about reading those two verses for us? Because this he tells us why he wrote it. Sure, here it is. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So that makes it pretty clear. John wrote with evangelistic intent. Right. The depth of the teachings from his gospel, however, tells us how he wanted readers not only to enter into saving faith in Jesus, but also to grow into a richer, well-informed faith. And John's very clear throughout. Jesus is the long way to Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. And if I could just draw a quote from the ESV Study Bible, they say this, it's also likely that John sought to present Jesus as the new temple and center of worship for God's people, a concept that would be especially forceful if the date of his writing, as seems likely, was subsequent to AD 70, the time of the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. So that's a pretty interesting idea as well on why he wrote it. I agree. So we can see that John had a very clear purpose in his writing. Was he writing to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to both? Yes. He was <laughs> writing to everybody. And as you read through the gospel, we find John was writing to both Jews and Gentiles. And we see this. So in his writing to the Gentiles, you see that in how he frequently explains Jewish customs, Palestinian geography, how he translates Aramaic terms into Greek. So he's showing an awareness of non-Jewish readers. But he also shows awareness of Jewish readers because he's so strongly demonstrating Jesus to be the Messiah, that Christ is the fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies, and he's the revealed Son of God who provides redemption for humanity. So you can just see how he addressed both Jews and Gentiles. We learned in previous podcasts, Matthew wrote mainly to the Jews to answer questions that they had about Jesus being the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Mark and Luke both wrote mainly to the Gentiles. And now here we have John writing really to everyone. So yep. very interesting. All right, let's move on to some of the 
theological themes that we find in John's gospel. This is kitchen table theology. So let's look for those theological <laughs> themes. This is a long book. It has 21 chapters. So you can guess that there are going to be many different themes going on. Kitchen table theologian, sorry, we've narrowed it down, some of these big theological themes for you. So let's dive in and begin with the theme of believing or beliefs. Yeah, as we touched on a little earlier, the purpose of John's gospel is that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life in his name. But throughout the gospel, Jesus' words and actions are designed to bring about faith. So there is this strong theme theologically throughout about believing. And John, unlike the other gospel writers, John goes back to the very even before the foundations of the world began. He doesn't start with Matthew and Luke with some genealogies and it starts with the birth of Christ. He goes back to Christ in all of eternity and starts to build a case for belief. And you just see belief every, it's literally on every page, our call to belief. Very strong theme in the Gospel of John. Then there is the theme of glory. We see Christ's glory being talked about and being manifested throughout this Gospel of John. Yeah, and in a simple sense, glory is the honor that people receive from other people. And we've seen that in movies and people receiving adulation and glory. You see it with athletes and things like that. But in the fuller sense of the word glory, we have the revelation of divine power and divine presence. And so Jesus reveals divine glory by works of power, miracles, like turning water into wine. And that's very early in John's gospel. And right after that miracle, John tells us this sign was the first to, quote, manifest his glory, end quote. So the miracle of turning water into wine was a sh the first sign of Jesus to manifest his glory. When we get nearer to the end of the gospel and nearer to the end of Jesus's earthly life, when he lays down his life, we're told he revealed the glory of divine love by going to the cross and so forth. After his resurrection, Jesus resumes his heavenly glory and prepares a place for his followers to share in it. So again, just like belief, you see this theme of glory all throughout John's gospel. Okay, we have the themes of belief, glory. Another one that we often find is the theme of Jesus as Messiah. Yeah, the Messiah or the anointed one. You know, the Messiah was always expected by the Jews and expected to be a king who would rule over God's people. And the hope for the Messiah grew out of God's promise that the heir to David's throne would have an everlasting kingdom. That was always believed by the Jewish people, always taught by them. It's in the Old Testament scriptures, everywhere you look. And then John declares that Jesus is the one in whom God's promises are fulfill. And he makes a very strong case for all that throughout his gospel, again, with the Jewish people, his Jewish readers in mind. And going hand in hand with that, I think, is how John portrays Jesus as the Son of God. Right. And what's probably become the best known, most well-loved verse in the Bible, John 3.16, John declares Christ as the Son of God who has come to save the world. 
the expression son of God in the Old Testament was always associated with kingship. And John uses that terminology in his gospel, but he takes it a step further, pointing us to Jesus's heavenly origin. So he is the son of God since he has come from God and he personified and embodies the power and presence of God. Another strong theme in there at Christ, the son of God. Another theme that we find that we may wish wasn't actually in the gospel, but we find it mentioned there numerous times, so we need to talk about it, is the theme of judgment. Yeah, and John didn't shy away from it, that's for sure. He teaches that people come under God's judgment by rejecting the Christ whom God has sent. So you reject him, then you are placing yourself in which under future judgment. By way of contrast, people find life by coming to faith in Christ, since faith is the way people relate rightly to God. So John's gospel sometimes speaks of a final judgment also at the end of time. And you read about that in chapter five. But he also teaches that judgment already occurs when people refuse to believe. So there's another theme running throughout John's gospel, that of judgment. And I'm sure we'll get to learn more about judgment in the book also written by John Revelation whenever we get to that one. (laughs) Thankfully, we have some time to prepare for that one. Talk about a lot in one book. So quick recap here. We've seen the themes of belief, glory, messiahship, Jesus as God's one and only son, and judgment. We also see throughout John's gospel, and thankfully this is going to be much lighter than judgment, are the themes of life, and even more specifically, eternal life. Yeah, we do see those. People, as you, you read through, you get this sense, people have life in one sense as long as they are alive physically. So there's a lot about the physical life. And yet, true life is found only in relationship with God through Christ. So faith is the means to life because through faith, people relate to the God who made them. And, and John talks a lot about eternal life and the, and the kingdom as he's, as he's telling us what Jesus said. Jesus talked, of course, a lot about all that. So eternal life, because the eternal life is life in relationship with the eternal God. And I think if that's gotten a little confusing, I think Jesus said it as everything, said it so well. Said John 17, 3 in his high priestly prayer, and here's what he said. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So life begins now in faith and continues beyond death through the power of resurrection. So John reminds us about our earthly life, but he said there's a greater life to come if we turn to Christ in faith. And that's eternal life. And, you know, so as you're reading through John's gospel, you'll see physical life and eternal life talked about often. We have a few more theological themes to cover. So let me just state the theme since we're running out of time here, and I'll ask you to just comment on it quickly. So the theme of love. Yeah, love for the world is the reason God sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus in turn shows love for us and for others. And we see that in the washing of his disciples' feet. That's recorded in John's gospel and ultimately by laying down his life. And John has a, he writes a lot about the last days of Christ and 
the crucifixion and the resurrection, and then a lot about post-resurrection. All of that's undergirded by the love that, that Jesus gives to us. And we're taught in John's gospel, Jesus is the source. He's the norm for life as a Christian. And our lives as Christians are supposed to be shaped by the command to love one another as Jesus has loved us. So huge theme. Again, I think something on every page of the gospel. I don't know that this next one, we should maybe qualify as a theological theme of the book, but we definitely need to mention it because it is in the book a lot. Satan. Yeah, and we did early on, I don't know what podcast numbers, but when we did the study of heartiology, I think it's called, which is a doctrine of sin, we covered Satan and demons and so forth. And so kitchen table theologians, if you don't know much about this, just go to all of our podcasts on wherever you're listening and scroll down and and you'll see those podcasts if you want to go a little deeper in this. But yeah, we learned a lot about Satan in John's gospel. We learned that he is also called the devil. He's called the evil one. He's called the ruler of this world. Those are terms John uses. And John's gospel understands that the power of evil works through deception and hatred and death. But, you know, at the end of the day, Jesus defeats the evil one with truth and love and then gives us the gift of eternal life, which life beats death every time. And all of that's coalescing in his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. And you, you see that throughout the gospel too. We also learn a great deal about the Holy Spirit in John's gospel as well. Yeah, we do. We, you could do an entire study on the Holy Spirit just from John's gospel. In chapter one, he reveals, the Holy Spirit reveals the identity of Jesus. And we learn a lot about the Holy Spirit and his role in bringing people to faith. And in John chapter three, we learned that that's called new birth. We also learned that the Holy Spirit sometimes is called the advocate. Sometimes he's referred to as the counselor because he brings people to a deeper understanding of who Christ is. And he empowers us in our witness to a, an unbelieving world. So a lot to learn about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. Belief, glory, messiahship, Jesus as the Son of God, judgment, life and eternal life, love, Satan, the Holy Spirit. That's a lot of <laughs> theological themes. <laughs> yeah. Let's do one more for today. The last theme for today's podcast is the world. Yeah, that's not general enough. The world. <laughs> the world. Well, Explain that one to us, please. Again, another theme running throughout John's writings, and he informs us that the world was created by God through the word, yet the world has become estranged from God and doesn't know the one who made it. And John 1.10, he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He's referring, of course, to Christ. So the world, John tells us in his gospel, is hostile to God, to Christ, to the church. We read about that in John 15. Yet, and here's the amazing part, yet God continues to love the world. And not only that, he proved it by sending Christ to redeem the world. And now he's sending the followers of Christ into the world to bear witness to the truth of Christ. So yeah, a lot of the world uh, in John's gospel as well. Really a lot of themes in John's gospel there. A lot. Any closing comments for us as we wrap it up? Well, let me just do two very quickly. 
For readers of John's Gospel, the question is a simple, though significant question. And it's this, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? And if you believe, you will receive eternal life, claiming the truth that you will one day live in the presence of God in a place with no more pain, no more tears, no more death. And finally, I just love how John reiterates the purpose of the gospel. And I really like how the message paraphrases it. And it reads this way, Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. And another thing John says, which I love, he says, if we were to write down everything Christ said it did, John said, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. And I just love that. Well, thank you for these great insights into John today and for leaving us with the incredible promise of eternal life. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, we have that promise. Kitchen Table Theologians, thank you guys for listening today. As always, thanks are due to our friends at Low Country Community Church here in Bluffton, South Carolina, as well as the team at Streamline Podcasts for making this podcast possible. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, whatever is your favorite podcasting app and to follow along and continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Don't forget, you can check out the episode notes and more at jeffcranston.com. Join us next week. We'll be back, Lord willing, with another episode. And I think we are up to the overview of Deuteronomy. So until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. Thanks for joining us at the table. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.